We have hope. Hope that things can get better. And they will. You called it Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzle cast, welcome to Star Wars Season 2, Legends of the Lasat, the first of two amazing Zeb episodes in the next couple episodes. This is episode 13 or 14, I guess, depending on how you're counting. So this whole setup is great because we even get Hondo in here, which is fantastic. Zeb set this up. I mean, I'm sorry, Ezra set this up. He, I don't think he specifically set it up for, for uh, to, to be Lasat and to be Zeb's people. But Ezra becomes a big part of, in terms of contributing to the ceremony and talking to Zeb about how important it is for him to reconnect. And this is one of those episodes that even though it's a Zeb episode, is actually one of the better Ezra episodes because effortlessly in a Princess Leia kind of way, um, or Ahsoka way, effortlessly guides Zeb into his true path in the right direction, which is always awesome. So for the first time, I'm using my two screens separately. We'll see how this goes. Um, So here come the refugees. They're Lasat. We knew that Lasat was mostly destroyed... You know, they're pretty good about saying, you know, Zeb says, you know, I didn't think there were many of us left. My people, they're Lasat. Um, and I will say, my first time through the series, and maybe the second time through, before I'd seen the Clone Wars, before I got really familiar or, or really comfortable 100% with the Rebels animation style, and, you know, some of the standalones, which have now become some of my favorite episodes. Oh, man, look at the spinning shot of fighting. It's funny. It looks so much more cinematic when I'm doing commentary and paying close attention. Here's Ando. What a dickhead. Oh, my God. Um, but because the ceremony's weird and it's a fake language, which always sounds strange and, and blah, 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 blah. I wasn't sure what to make of this at first. And it's kind of a predictable story. And, of course, I have complained that... For whatever reason, other than Kanan, all of the ghost members have to be like royalty or former royalty. You know, Hera's dad, head of, you know, the 30-year rebellion on on uh, the, the Twilight planet. You've got, obviously, Ezra's parents were much more involved in the rebellion than we initially thought. They were sort of the heads of the fight in, in Lothal. Now we're learning Zeb was a captain. And this proves, you know, the feeling that I get that even though he acts like, a, you know, a young hothead a lot of the time... He, but he also complains like an old man that he actually is an old man. He's still in great shape. They probably live a lot longer than we do, the Lasat. Um, but, uh, you know, but it, this proves if these old guys remember, I mean, this guy says he used to serve with Zeb. So Zeb's got to be like 80 our years. Gron, I served under in the guard. Yeah. Chop of the wise. Yeah, I know who she is. So this is the Lasat version of Han Solo calling the Force Hocus Pocus. 
you know, Zeb has to believe in the Force at this point because he's seen two Jedis do insane stuff, Ezra and Kanan. He never questions it. But he doesn't see that the religion of the Lasat is connected to the Force and is essentially their version of the Force. Like, Chirrut has his own version of the Force. And Ezra, very subtly coming up, hopefully I won't miss it, talks about, oh, that sounds like the Force to me. And and one of many, it's mostly Ezra's emotional plea and his own guilt, but also feeling of of duty and honor that I love in Zeb so much, as deeply buried as it is, brings him into the ceremony and eventually gets him optimistic to the point of believing and then seeing the home world and now being a messenger for them, bringing other Lasat back to their original home worlds. And we're going to, of course, learn more about how the Lasat were exterminated, or that they were exterminated when we see him in Callus and maybe my favorite episode coming up called The Honorable Ones. But here, look at the staging here. Ezra's the one up front asking questions. Zeb's sort of, look at Zeb listening. You can see his eyes moving. They really know how to do the character stuff better. Um, like, I, I, in both Clone Wars and... Um, Right, Lasan was not destroyed. It was transformed as part of the future destiny of our people. So from here until most of the rest of the episode is the ceremony. And then, of course, escaping into the nebula in a very Battlestar Galactica style without too many spoilers for that show. And, you know, landing on this home world that you didn't even know existed before, just in Legends, as she's talking about. But he hates the Hocus Pocus here. But anyways, in both Clone Wars and Rebels, Dave Filoni and company uh, ha- would have all the main actors record together. It, it's not just one at a time, and that's why it seems so conversational and natural in both shows. But in terms of visually, the subtle things they do with facial gestures and eye movements and um grimaces smiles etc and before the staging of zeb listening but pretending like he's not listening like the slower pace of the show allows us to appreciate that stuff more but it's also just done better and it's not just better than clone wars it's better than almost all uh 3d animated stuff that i've seen and that's why ultimately not only did I end up being okay with the Pixar-ish element to the Rebels but I ended up liking it better than Clone Wars but you'll hear about that in my Clone Wars commentary with Simi Klimo and this is actually the thing that really turns off Zeb he has to save these guys and then they won't fight and he's saying that's not the Lasat culture of course this is a direct mirror of Sabine's culture the Mandalorians who when you watch the Clone Wars is being led by the Duchess Satine who's a pacifist who's trying to be the first pacifist ruler of Mandalore in like 3,000 years it does not go well This air, uh, this aired in early February 2016. So, the Force Awakens was still making money and, and selling everybody's mind while this is going on. We're getting all this different lore, and because generally people loved the Force Awakens, or at least had a great time, and were just stoked Star Wars was back and really pumped after the movie experience. Nevertheless. There was great Rebel stuff going on here, as I talk about with Season 2. And guys, I took a few days off of Rebels, and I watched most of Season 3 and some of Season 4. And I still think this is the best season, And even though there's great stuff in 3 and amazing stuff in 4. You'll, we will get there. Um, but I continue to think this is the best season, because every episode is either moves the plot stuff forward with Vader and the Empire, uh, has Ahsoka, has Jedi stuff, or is just great character building. But you, th- but then you've got character building with him and Callus and the honorable ones, and you think it's just going to be you know Zeb maturing and maybe Callus briefly questioning his life. Nope, he completely turns Callus by accident and shifts the the war in some good ways and some unintentional bad ways in season three by getting Callus to be Fulcrum and on their side. 
just by the way that he treats Kallus like a human and Kallus sees the sort of love that the rebels have for each other and the imper- the empire are technically working on the same side but the imperial officers all despise each other and this is this is the best way you know like it's it's a great mirror so if that episode is going to have aired let's say two months in 2016 after the force awakens when we saw finn you know uh, refused to, to go give into his programming as a murderous first order trooper um uh, but then you also see Callus questioning, you know, being in the Empire. But Callus is actually way more affecting, not only because we've gotten to know him and see him be horrible this whole time, and we know that he murdered a lot of Lassat, and they're going to talk about that. Nevertheless, we've gotten to know Callus just in general as a character, and him starting to struggle with being an Imperial, and then turning on them and helping the Rebels and everything. But because of Zeb, it's just, you know, you just have time. And that's why I, I still believe, even more than Ahsoka and Anakin, there's so many scenes and so many episodes and, and arcs with just Ezra and Kanan and stuff. It's really, it, you know, calling it the best Master Padawan is completely subjective, but saying it's the most developed and, I think, interesting, or at least multidimensional, I think is, it, it, there's no doubt that's the case with Ezra and Kanan. And that's why, even if you don't give Zeb that many episodes, the fact that they give him some big ones in Season 2 helps keep him way more interesting for me as it goes down the road in 3 and 4, even though he doesn't get as much as I would like. And here comes the mysticism. And, you know, the drawings look a little bit like the drawings we see on the walls and the Stargate in Lothal. And it's, you know, this very much respects uh, respects and, and mirrors the scientific, you know, pretty strong scientific evidence that the sort of early religions of the world, if you look at them sort of as mysticism and trying to understand the universe, were quite similar. And religions have actually diverged more over time because they become formalized and had to appeal to large amounts of people, but but also be centralized and you know be be forms of power as opposed to just spirituality. So wouldn't it be surprising that the Lasat and the people of Lothal's ancient religions w- w- would be similar? I mean, if you compare Native American religion to you know ancient African religion to ancient Chinese religion, there's so much in common. And the notion that, you know, a smart people think primitive people can't distinguish between metaphor and symbolism and reality is very foolish. And I think that's what they convey in terms of religious uh, themes um, and tones for, for this episode is because you know zeb keeps reducing it to hocus pocus and they, and they keep telling zeb that it's much more complicated than they think and and they don't disagree with ezra when ezra said it's connected to gunk he calls it a uh, bunk um you know he does they don't disagree with ezra compares it to being the force well if we believe in the force and this is tapping into the same thing look at ezra he's totally studying this is part of his education this is what's great it's not just he, he's constantly uh, there's canaan look at them oh yeah, Kanan and Ezra are so into this. They want this for Zeb so badly. They believe in this stuff. They understand. Yep, this that's it. The, the, the unwritten brilliance of this episode is Ezra participating and him and Kanan both being there and acknowledging that it's very part of the Force. I mean... But he, does, he doesn't yell at Ezra for being involved. He just doesn't want to be involved or he thinks he doesn't want to be involved. Here we go. Is it Ezra who comes get him? I think it's Ezra. Love Ezra. This kid's great. He's great. Taylor Gray. God bless you. He's one of the best Disney characters ever. 
Chanting ain't going to help save anybody, right? Right. How do you know, says Ezra? As captain of the honor guard, right, I was responsible for protecting the royal family in every single Lasat. Mm-hmm. Right. Their safety was my duty. Yeah, you couldn't have stopped the empire. Mm-hmm. We held the palace. Here's the guilt. He just needs to unload. Right, there was a bomb and everything was gone. Yeah, he was barely alive. That's how he got out. Though the guilt must be crippling. And then Canaan found him. Oh man, Canaan, uh, Sarah, Carabast. Ezra was the perfect. This is exactly what Princess Leia did for Ezra like two episodes ago. And now he's already mature enough and wise enough to do this with, you know, someone who's 80 years older than him. They called me Captain. Yeah, I don't deserve it. Yeah, he's so self loathing. That's what's great about Zeb. Right, don't fail them now. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. Don't fail them now. He goes, okay, I don't believe in this, but you know what? I'm not going to run away from this. These are my elders who are left. But then, then, you know, there's some stuff coming up here where they say that there's the dumb one, there's the fool, there's the child and the warrior. And Zebel keeps to saying how he wants to be the warrior. He's really annoying about the whole thing. But the fact is that he is there and he does contribute the, the sort of, I guess, force-esque powers in his staff coming up. The child must save the warrior and the fool. This is a very common thing. Judaism has a three or four-sided child thing, and it's almost exactly the same. There, but the fourth is the smart one. There's the wise, the like warrior, feisty one, the fool, and the immature child. Talk about that on, on Passover. I don't really want to be the warrior. But what what? other than giving each other a hard time for fun, what bonds Zeb and Ezra is that they'll complain about like, Oh, I'm the one who should be getting the break or, Oh, why am I the one that's to do this mission? But it's just because they want things to be fair. And it's just, you know, complaining as part of living a hard life and making a joke out of it. Keeping it bottled inside is the worst thing. And that's why Harold lets them all complain. Oh yeah. Here we go, baby. Woo. Uh, and then the visual, what really sold me on this though, on the first time, and I was like, I got to rewatch this. This is one I might've rewatched right after I saw it is the staff, uh, the warrior staff. Those systems are beyond the outer rim. Oh man. Yeah. We're getting cosmology baby in star Wars. Oh, this is great. Yeah. They call him the child. So he is younger. Uh huh. Yep. Lyrason, what a great name. I wonder if that's uh, not to Lyra Erso or so. Oh, here's a great conversation between these two. Totally passed the Bechtel test. Whoop. <laughs> They're just hanging out. Oh, here they go. So, right. So the first part of the, the first part of all this ceremony in reality, it is getting Zeb invested. The second was the, you know, the whole, the whole religious rites, which culminated in this two staves coming together, empowering the map, giving them new coordinates, which is like Starbuck playing the piano. Go watch Battlestar Galactica. And this music right here is the, this is the Earth music of season three and four. Whenever, actually, starting in season two, the first time they get the constellations showing them the way to Earth and Battlestar, this is exactly the kind of cello, dark, deep cello music that we hear. I think that's probably a nod to it. The lost planet of, a, of a people killed by genocide. Yep. 
You're right. Yeah. They have to make her complain about some stuff that she wouldn't normally complain about just to make her human at times. To, where the Princess Leia has to like be kind of pissy and, and angry at times just to humanize her because otherwise they're just perfect human beings and that's not interesting. Yeah, it was great to go get ahead to season three and four and see how much Sabine progresses because I always love Sabine, but seeing the end of three and, and then all of four is awesome. So, right, so he's saying he's already acting like such a dick as Callus, but even though we're on episode 14, it's literally, hold on, it's literally three episodes. In real, the real world, in our world, it's three weeks after this airs that the Honorable Ones airs, and, and Zeb flips him. That's fantastic. Yep, there you go. <laughs> Hondo selling him out again. But Hondo says, I don't, you know, this is all part of the plan because I know you guys are going to escape me. He's sort of a Deadpool-esque character. It's not that he's breaking the fourth wall, but Hondo's saying what we're all thinking, which is, you know, which is, (laughs) you know, He's the deus ex machina. I'm going to screw you over constantly. You're going to keep hiring me constantly. And you're just going to get out of it. I'm going to comment about how I know you're going to get out of it. Because it's the Star Wars Rebel show. In time you become all of them. right? This is, the, this is him understanding there's many facets to people. They're not just one thing. Here we go. Ezra, bring me my bow rifle. What are you thinking, buddy? I love this. Kanan is totally... He's on board, but he's like, Zeb, don't do anything stupid. But Ezra, of course, like, I know you can do this. Just like the ancients used to. Oh, I got chills. It's not even a hard sell that he, that his his exterior would get knocked down relatively quickly. He just needed to unload. He needed to see these people, meet these people. He needed to unload to Ezra, have all his friends there. Yep. Yeah, this is just like the Starbucks piano stuff. That's, that's all I'm going to say. It's not energy exactly, but it's, you know... It's a mystical force guiding the coordinates of a of a ship, or is this creating a shield for them? Because they believe they can. That that was an important uh, realization for for Callus right there, actually, which seems evil. But then you know, three episodes down the road, when Zeb turns him or starts turning him, he's really starting to respect them. And this is not uncommon. But we also see good guys go to bad guys because of Stockholm Syndrome and related things um, in the real world. But we also see bad guys, if you know, want to convert to good guys, but we good guys need to accept them, you know? I mean, if they've killed a lot of people like Callus, you know, part of you is like, throw him in jail. But if you have a rebellion and he's honestly joining you and he can help save the rebellion, then you have to make moral compromises. You know, people t- like, it's my problem with pacifists. It's not, it, it, pacifism assumes that we can create a scenario where everyone in the world would be a pacifist and so we don't have to fight. But if you kill all the pacifists, then there's no pacifism anymore. So the only way to protect pacifism is by protecting it, defending it with force. Stew on that. Let them go. To their destruction, or is he already thinking, let's let him go? Yeah. He's already sympathizing, I think. Because you know the writers have written this all out, and they do all of this like a year before it releases. So you know the continuity is there. They might be flying by the seat of their pants season to season, but within a season, they have a grand plan. Yeah, this chamber music with all strings, again, very reminiscent of the 
the Allegra, as they call it, the Allegra theme, which we first see at the very end of season one of Battlestar with Six and Baltar, and Baltar having the vision of the Cylon human hybrid child, and oh man, yeah, yeah, I'm, I always think of Battlestar with this. Look at Zeb, ugh. You just love them after this, and this is why you have to watch all the episodes numerous times if you really love the characters in the show. Is is you? This carries over to even episodes where he's saying dumb things or not in it a lot. Now this is in your mind. What a brave, awesome dude this is. But I like that they chose Sabine to be the one that they would go back to season after season with their connection to Mandalore. The Lasatin aren't in any position to help the Rebel Alliance, and they would never ask it because they know that they're like the Vulcans in the Star Trek reboot. There's maybe 10,000 in the galaxy. But, uh... Also, the fact that you can kind of see in the gas clouds and the nebula, the whole universe, a little bit reminiscent of uh, the uh, the hallucinogenic beach planet that Jodie Foster ends up on in contact with her quote-unquote father after having gone through a bazillion wormholes. I've never seen better. Yep. Now, I, I had already expected that there would be other Lasat, so it wasn't like a shocker when he comes back later and he says, actually, a bunch of them never left, I think, you know? That was the surprising part. I thought, I thought maybe others had found it. Were they? Yeah, Zeb's been there a while. You sure he's coming back? Yeah, he's trying. <laughs> yeah. Zeb needs this adventure, just like Sabine does. That's why she can't stay on Mandalore and he can't stay there. Here comes the family. <laughs> yeah, he's already he's just like Jane. That's who Chopper is. He's Jane. He's the literally the Jane. He's the muscle, but he's also the one trying to screw them over constantly. He's the Jane of the ghost. Mm-hmm. Already Lasat down there. Yep. It's their original home, not just their new home. That's different from Battlestar, but I'm not gonna say why. <laughs> There's a lot more of him. <laughs> yes. We can go home now. Right, where is him? So the system charted. They got to save those man, though. They have to protect those uh, coordinates. And now Zeb's Zeb's on board. He's going to help all the other little sots. Boom. That's all you need, people. Well, there you have it. There you have it. Um, the next episode is the Space Whales episode with the call, which is which is another episode you think is a totally standalone episode up until the very end of the series, and then it it comes in in a very key place, um, and uh, uh, then we have Homecoming, which is Hera with her dad. That's the Hera character episode that we needed so badly, but it really ties together um, her character. It ties together the Clone Wars with Shams and Dula, her dad. It ties together uh, going forward that he believes in her 100% and they can count on the Twi'leks or the Twi'leks or whatever they're called. And then we get the Honorable Ones with Zeb and then Shroud of Darkness with Ahsoka in the Jedi Temple, baby. So thank you for joining me. Join me next for the call. You have been awesome. I have been the Bizzle. Um, thank you so much for listening to my Star Wars Rebels uh, commentaries and everything else. Uh, we'll be back at you soon. But for now, the Bizzlecast is out.